Father, we just come to you today as we uh, go back to the beginning of the Bible and we uh, begin this study in the book of Genesis, Lord, and it's so important to what we believe. The, the foundational truths of all we believe are contained right here in this book. And uh, Lord, uh, we just ask that uh, you make these truths uh, come alive to us, Lord, that you seal these truths deep in our heart, Lord, that you... Uh, Give us the faith to believe everything that we're given here in the book of Genesis, especially this verse that we're going to be looking at today, Lord, because it's foundational to everything that uh, we believe about Jesus Christ and everything we believe about salvation. So I just ask uh, today, Lord, that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you bless our study in Genesis, and I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, you won't have a hard time finding this one. Go to the, go to the first part of your Bible, and we'll be picking up in uh, the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 1, verse number 1. All right, uh, I think everybody's excited about going to Genesis. I'm not as excited as everybody else is. Uh, I'll explain why a little bit later, but uh, we are going to Genesis. I think that's where the Lord has led us, and and uh, before we get started, we'll do just a little bit of introduction on the book. Uh, the title is obvious there. It's the book of Genesis. Uh, that is the Greek word Genesis, which means beginnings or origins. Uh, the Hebrew title for the uh, book of Genesis is Bereshith, which means in the beginning. Uh, there's a consensus among both uh, Jewish scholars and Christian scholars that Moses is the author of the first five books, including Genesis. We call the first five books of the Bible the Pentateuch. And uh, uh, we're pretty sure that Moses wrote those five books. And who better to write those books than the prophet Moses? I mean, uh, Stephen describes him over in, in uh, Acts chapter 7 as a man trained in all wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. And not only was he a proficient in words, a proficient writer, uh, uh, he had access to ancient manuscripts and to the oral traditions that the Jews had passed down from Abraham and, and from some of the earlier uh, uh, fathers. And so uh, Moses was the right man. And I think the most important reason why he was the right man to write these first books is because he had a special relationship with the Lord. He was the Lord's uh, personal friend. We're told in Exodus 33:11 that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. And so uh, no, no doubt uh, Moses wrote this book and, and most of what he wrote, if not all of what he wrote, came directly from the mouth of God through Moses. That's what makes the first five books of the Bible so uh, interesting and so important. They were given to Moses by God. Now, all the scripture is given by God, but, but uh, I believe Moses heard these words orally from the mouth of God when he was up on uh, uh, Mount Sinai. Now, as far as an outline goes, uh, you can break this book. I'm not going to get into a detailed outline, but you could break this book into three uh, main sections. Uh, the first section that we'll be beginning in is the creation we know that, and then the fall, and then the flood. That'll be the first section. The, section, the second section that we'll be looking at is, is a section on Abraham, who was what? He was the father of our faith. And so Abraham's an important part of Genesis. And then 
in the last section, the last part of Genesis, the third section, we'll be looking at the birth of the nation of Israel through Jacob and his 12 sons. And so uh, you just looking at those topics, you can see why we've entitled this series The Foundations of Our Faith, because the, the foundations uh, on which the books of the Bible have been laid, uh, we find these in Genesis. And, and let me say this, if you don't believe Genesis, and if you aren't well-versed in Genesis and uh, knowledgeable in Genesis, you're not going to be able to comprehend the rest of the Bible because these truths are foundational to what we get in the law. They're, they're foundational to what we get in the judges, what we get in the kings, what we get in the wisdom literature, what we get in the prophets, what we get in the gospels, what we get in the epistles, and what we get in Revelation. All of that is, stands on this foundation that we get in the book of Genesis. Now, the most foundational truth of all, and I want you to get this, the most foundational truth of all, I believe, is found right here in verse chapter 1, verse number 1. And that's why this is such a critical study today. Listen to what he says. Go to Genesis, first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1, and listen to what the Lord says to us. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you can't believe that, if you can't believe Genesis 1-1, what are you going to believe about Genesis 1-2? And so on down the line. What are you going to believe about John 3-16? In other words, if you can't trust that statement there to be true, you can't trust any of the rest of the Bible to be true. And so this is the, the, the foundation of all that we believe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I've heard it said over and over again, that, uh, the, and I've heard it said by many a preacher. I might have even said it myself in the past that the Bible was never intended to be a book on science. I totally disagree with that statement. I, I, that's a cop-out. That's how people cop out. They just say, oh, well, the Bible isn't correct on science because it was never intended to be a book about science. Let me tell you what, it was intended to be a book on science. It's true that the Bible doesn't have much to say about science, but what it does say is the basis for all science. Look, it would be like saying that the Bible isn't a book of, on the millennium, that uh, it was never intended to be a book on the millennium. Look, it's true, the Bible doesn't say much about the millennium. But what it does say is the basis for all the truth that we know about the millennium. I mean, the Bible says in Revelation 19 and 20 that when... Uh, the great tribulation ends. Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth and he's going to rule and reign with the saints for a thousand years and that Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. Well, there's a lot uh, of truth in those few statements, but we don't get much more information about the millennium, at least the timetable of the millennium, than what we get there in Revelation 19 and 20. But it's foundational to all we believe about the millennial. Uh, millennium. Uh, and, and you get all of these so-called 
Bible scholars who have concocted all of the sorts of theories about the millennium, and most of them are amillennialists. They don't believe in the millennium. And the reason they don't believe in the millennium because they don't believe in a God who can orchestrate events the way they're described in the latter part of Revelation. They just don't believe that, that God can do that by himself. He needs a lot of help. And so they're most, most, most biblical scholars are amillennialists. They don't actually believe in the millennium. But, but hey, I'm going to believe God. You know why I'm going to believe God? Because those scholars don't know the future. But God knows the future. He's omniscient. And so I'm going to believe God. So don't tell me that the Bible isn't a book about the millennium or that the Bible isn't a book about science. Listen again to what he says right here. Read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me tell you what that is. That is the most profound comprehensive scientific statement that has ever been made. Every geology book, every biology book, every chemistry book, every physics book ought to begin with that statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There'd be a lot less controversy about those books and a lot less theories and a lot more fact if they begin on that basis, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But most people don't give any credence to Genesis 1.1. And so they've concocted all sorts of theories about the origins of the universe. And why have they done that? Let me tell you why they've done that. Because they've got a godless worldview about the, the origins of the earth. And why do they have that kind of view? Because they don't want to believe the truth about, uh, believe in a true and living God. Go, go with me over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. Go all, all the way back almost to Revelation. And go to 2 Peter. And look in chapter 3. And I want you to get this. Listen to what he says here. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 5. He says, for this, they, now watch this very carefully, they willfully forget. In other words, they do it on intention. They forget because if you look around and you've got any common sense, you know that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, you know, you can see design all through this creation. And so you have to willfully forget this. You, you have to stick your head in the sand. You have to believe a lie to not believe the truth that's in Genesis 1.1. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old. By the word of God. God in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. By the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the, standing out of water, and in the, in, in the water. Now why do they willfully forget? Why? Uh, let me tell you why. Let me give you the answer to that. Flip back over to let the Lord give you the answer to that. The Lord spoke a parable about uh, what would happen after he left this world at his first coming, at the end of his first coming. Go over to Luke chapter 19. Just back a few books into the Gospels. And look at Luke chapter 19. And let's pick up in verse number 11. 
He says, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Now watch why he spoke this parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. All of his disciples at this point thought that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to by force take over power, and he was going to become king of Israel and king of the world. They thought that that's what he was going to Jerusalem for, even though he had told them several times that he was going there, he was going to be tortured, he was going to be turned over to the Pharisees, he was going to be crucified, and then on the third day he would arise. He told them that, but they in their hearts, they thought that he would appear immediately. Now, we just finished studying the book of Revelation. And when I go through the book of Revelation... You know what I get to thinking? I get to thinking that the Lord's going to appear immediately. I get to thinking that, hey, when we finished Revelation, I was about, I was ready to be done preaching. I mean, I was ready to be done. In fact, when I started picking a topic, I started saying, well, I think I'm going to go through the Psalms and kind of meander through the Psalms for a while while I figure out what God wants me to do. Nothing wrong with the Psalms. I love the Psalms. But I was thinking, you know, I really don't want to go back to Genesis. And it's like the Lord said, well, at least work on it a little bit and work on a psalm and you figure out which way we go. Well, he didn't take me anywhere in the psalm, but he took me, when I got into Genesis, he showed me that's what he wanted me to do. All right. It's real easy to get into prophecy and get to longing for the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. But God hasn't called us just to, to know when he's coming. That's not what prophecy is about. Prophecy is, in, is to inspire us to go back to Genesis and start all over again and do this again. That's what it inspires me to do. What it inspires you to do is to serve the Lord. That's what it should do. And so that's what this parable is about. He, I'm not going to go through the whole parable, but it's about how he gave out the talents and the minus, and he told these people to get busy in the kingdom of God until I return. And then he rewarded those who served him based upon how faithfully they served him. But, but look at what it says right here. Now, and, and this is a picture of us. We've gone through Revelation, and I'm sorry to tell you, the Lord didn't return. Well, what's the Lord want you to do now that he didn't return? He wants you to serve him. More than anything else, he wants you, wherever he's placed you in this world, he wants you to serve him. But what he's going to say in this parable, it's going to be really tough to serve him. It's not easy to serve the Lord in a lost and fallen world. And let me tell you why. He tells you why. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, in verse number 12, he said, a certain nobleman, that's a, that parable speaks of Jesus Christ, went into a far country. In other words, he left. He came and then he left. That's a picture of Jesus coming and now he's left and he's gone to heaven. And he went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then and to return. Jesus is going to return. But so he called ten of his servants and he delivered to them ten minas, or ten pieces of money, and said to them, some versions say talents, and he said to them, Do business till I come. What's your job and what's my job? What should Revelation inspire us to do? To do the Lord's business till he comes. But it's not going to be easy because look at what he says. But the citizens of that country hated him. See, that's a picture of this world. Most of the people in this world hate Jesus Christ. They don't want anything to do 
with Jesus Christ. He says, but the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man rule, reign, rule, reign over us. Why do people willfully forget about the creator? Why do they want to have nothing to do with the creator? Why do they want to deny that the creator even exists? Is because they will not have this man reign over them. Who's the creator? He is none other than Jesus Christ. And this world rejects Jesus Christ because they will not have this man rule over him. Now, so what the world has done, or what the, the so-called scientists of this world have done, they have cooked up all sorts of fairy tales about the origins of the universe. And here's the sad thing to me. Much of the church has bought into this garbage, and they believe a lot of these theories, and they deny the truth that we have. Go back here to Genesis 1.1, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we're going to explore when that was here in just a minute. Now, you could summarize all of these aberrant theories into three categories. Here's the first one. The first one, you've heard of it before, that the universe doesn't really exist. In other words, there's no origin to the universe. It doesn't really exist. It's just an illusion. In other words, everything you see around you is not real. It's just an illusion. You heard of the Christian scientists? That's what they believe. They believe that matter is, isn't really real. It doesn't really exist. It's just an illusion. And true salvation or deliverance comes... When, when you're delivered from the delusion that matter exists. Now, you talk about delusions. They're delusional. Let me tell you what. If you ever get to thinking that way, let me tell you what you need to do. Grab you a safety pin and jam it as hard as you can into your rear end, and I promise you that you will be uh, reassured that matter exists. All right. Then there are those who believe that the universe has no origins. I mean, it has existed eternally. It's always existed. And that actually was the predominant scientific view for many centuries. People just believe that the universe has gone on just like it's gone on forever and ever and ever and ever. But then mankind was awakened to what we scientists call the second law of thermodynamics. And what that law says is that Everything is moving from disorder, I mean, from, I'm sorry, from order to disorder. Everything moves from order to disorder. I'll give you an example. You take a top, you spin that top, and you watch it spin. At first it keeps spinning in perfect order. But eventually, unless you grab it and spin it again, that top is going to begin to wobble, and then it's going to collapse. That's the second law of thermodynamics in action. This law that everything is wasting away. So if everything is wasting away, then at some point it, could, it, 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 it didn't exist. If it's been wasting away over time, then at some point it didn't exist. And scientists have proven that theory over and over again. Let me give you one example. Carl Gloss, who created uh, a means of measuring the Earth's magnetic field, uh, he, he, he actually... Got made an instrument for measuring the Earth's magnetic field. He determined, using that instrument, 
that 1,400 years ago, the Earth's magnetic field was twice as strong as it is now. 2,800 years ago, it was four times as strong as it is now. And 7,000 years ago, it was 32 times as strong as it is now. That's why men and women lived to be eight and 900 years old back then, because you had this strong magnetic field that, were, that was holding things together in a stronger way, and so there was less entropy, and so you had this stronger magnetic field. And the more and more the magnetic field decreases, the, the higher the rate of entropy. And so the, higher, the quicker things waste away. Well, Dr. Thomas Barnes has calculated using Dr. Carl Gloss's instruments that 10,000 years ago, the magnetic field was so strong that life on Earth could not survive. It would be crushed by the magnetic field. Now, that's one example, and I'm not going to get into all the examples. That, or that's one piece of evidence for a young Earth. Those who tell you this Earth is billions and billions and billions of years old, that ma the magnetic field doesn't, doesn't say that at all. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Uh, now, so we have entropy. We have entropy on the Earth, and we have entropy in the universe. I mean, the whole universe is wasting away. I mean, scientists years ago came up with a theory called the collapse theory, which they've actually have proven over the last uh, couple of decades. And basically what the collapse theory says is that the stars are collapsing. At some point, they will collapse. And so they have applied that theory to the sun, and they have determined that the sun is decreasing in size every year. In the last few decades, they've actually measured the size of the sun and uh, it, they've seen that it has actually decreased from year to year. So you know that the sun has not existed forever. Now, it's still got a long time before it burns out, so don't worry about it. Don't, don't lose any sleep over it tonight. But uh, so much for that theory. Things have not always existed. So that brings us to the third theory, and it's the most popular theory among scientists today, and that is, and, and listen to this, and, and just... Use your common sense and see if this sounds like common sense to you. And that is that the material world spontaneously arose out of nothing. That's the number one theory of scientists today, and of evolutionists especially. Uh, and incorporated in that theory is the Big Bang Theory. You've heard of the Big Bang Theory, and a form of the Big Bang Theory uh, is the oscillating theory. Uh, they all fall into that category. Now, let me tell you where these theories break down. There's a law in our universe known as the Newtonian causality law. How many of you have heard of that? Yeah, you heard of it. You just don't remember it from, from when you were taking your, your science courses in, in high school and college. But it's one of the undeniable laws in our universe. And it, it's a simple law. It simply states that every cause has an effect. Every cause has an effect. And that means that every effect has a cause. Now, I challenge you to look around this room and find something that's a result of a cause and tell me that it didn't have a cause. Everything in this room that you see in this room 
has a cause. Everything. Everything in this universe has a cause. And every cause has a cause. I mean... I challenge you, go out today, look at the trees, look at the roads, look at the telephone poles, look at whatever you want to look at. And everything that you see has a cause. Now, I could jump up and down in this pulpit today to try to get you guys really going, and there would be a cause to that. My muscles would cause me to go up. These big muscles would cause me to go up. But big gravity would cause me to go down. Well, what's gravity? Well, I'd like to believe that what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, that Jesus Christ holds all things together. I believe that force is him holding all things together. Well, some people have uh, theorized that gravity is a matter itself. But even then, what is the cause of that matter? What has caused that matter, gravity? If it's a matter, then something has caused that matter because every effect has a cause. And so think about our vast universe and all the stars and all the planets. What or who has caused them to exist? Well, evolutionists will tell you that they're a product of the Big Bang. Uh, What caused the Big Bang? Well, let me give you from space.com, let me give you their uh, reasoning here of what caused the Big Bang. A small, I love the way evolutionists use words. Chance. Chance is a word they like to use. I would like for somebody to tell me what chance is. It's a word. That's all it is. It's a word. Chance has no power. Chance is a word. And, and listen, listen to what space.com says. It says, a small singularity. What's a singularity? A small, small singularity exploded and then inflated. Now, I, got, I believe this. Over the next 13.8, I don't know where they get the point eight, the next 13.8 billion years into the cosmos as we know them today, a small singularity exploded. Are you sure? You believe that? I got some land, swamp land in Louisiana, I want to tell you. I mean, what singularity? They will tell you now they're saying that it was some gas. Gas is matter. Gas is an effect. So gas has to have a cause. If it was gas, and I don't believe that theory at all, but if it was gas, who or what caused the gas? You see, every effect has to have a cause. But at some point, at some point, there has to be a cause that has no cause. what What philosophers call the first cause and it's not a gas. There's only one who fits the billing of the first cause, and that is God himself. That's what you, have you heard of the cosmological argument for God? That is the cosmological argument for God, that he is the first cause. There has to be a first cause, and he is the first cause. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He caused the heavens and the earth to exist. So who is the creator? Who is the intelligent designer? It is none other than God. Now the pagans believe in in a a God who created the universe too. The different versions of the creation. uh, uh, In Greek mythology, it was Kronos who created the universe. 
in, in Egyptian mythology, it was Aton who created the universe. Uh, I challenge you to read some of those accounts, and you will see that they're nothing more than uh, a story created in, from, in the minds of depraved men and women. That's all they are. And, and they're silly stories. But we know that there is one creator who is the first cause, and that is none other than the God of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look at this. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that word for God there is the most basic word for God there is in the Hebrew language. It's the word El, E-L. Uh, you've, you've heard of Bethel. Beth means house. Uh, Bethel means the house of God. You've heard of Carmel. Carm means garden in Hebrew. Carmel means the garden of God. This is Elohim. It's, the Hem is the Hebrew plural. So this is El in plural. Now, a lot of people say will tell you that this is evidence of the Trinity. I don't think so at all. If you study Hebrew, what you'll find in the Hebrew language, now it could be that God was referring here to the Trinity. I don't think so. In the Hebrew, you use the plural sometimes to emphasize the noun, to use that noun to show superiority over like nouns. And so I think what uh, is being said here, what's being recorded for us here, is that God is the supreme God. In other words, in the beginning, the supreme God created the heavens and the earth. Who is the supreme God? Let me tell you who the supreme God, the supreme God is the God who hung on that cross for you and I, the one who died for our sins. We're told in John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with the God, with God. And all things were made uh, through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. That's Jesus Christ, the first cause of creation. Then we're told in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, for by Jesus Christ all things were created that are in the heavens and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things exist. All things are held together. He's the creator. Now, if Jesus is the creator, how did he create? Well, look at this verse again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that word created is a very unusual Hebrew word. It can only be applied to God. It is the word bara. It means to create out of nothing. That's why he's the first cause. Only the first cause could create matter out of nothing. You can create things. Human beings can create things, uh, but we, we can't create things out of nothing. Only God can create things out of nothing. So how does he do this? you, you got to believe this. He does it by his word. Well, you know, Pastor, I just can't believe that. I'm a Christian, and I just can't believe that. Well, if you're a Christian, you better believe that. Let me tell you why you better believe that. What's harder to do? If you had known me back 40 years ago 
and you knew me today, and you would see the change that God's made in my life by the power of his Holy Spirit, by his word, then you would know the power of God. And if God can't change my soul, then God can't create the universe by his word. And by his word, he spoke salvation into my heart. He spoke his spirit and life into my heart, and I was saved. And if I can't believe that he can, by his word, create the heavens and the earth, how can I believe that he can change me? And that's the problem. See, people don't believe that, and so they believe in a different God, and they're believing in a God that doesn't really create the universe. It's been created through evolution. He's, he, you know, God, I've heard this say by Christian leaders, that God's not some kind of genie. No, he's not some kind of genie. He is the first cause. He is the first cause of all things. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipotent. He has all power. So he has the power by his word to create all things. And he has the power by his word. Listen to me here. If, if you're not saved here today and you're wondering, I don't believe that, well, I challenge you to try it. Ask the creator God to change you. If you don't like your life the way it is, ask the creator God to change you and by his word you will be born again. And you will be changed forever. But if I can't believe in a God that can do that, I got a weak God. And so i got to help that God in everything. i got to help him with the millennium. That's why we have all millennialists. i got to help him along. We can, man's, God can't do all that himself. i got to help God with salvation, so i got to do a lot of work to make myself better. But boy, when I believe in a God, when I believe this statement right here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then I believe in a God that can do anything, and I believe he can save me, and I believe he can save this world, and I can believe he can save this universe, and I believe he's coming soon. That's what I believe. How did he create it? He created it by his word. Go with me. Let me show you that. And I'll just hit one verse here. Go to the middle of your Bibles to the Psalms. See, we ended up in Psalms anyway. Psalms 33. And look in Psalms 33. It can't be any clearer than this. Psalms 33, verse number 6. Psalms 33, verse number 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Can it be any clearer than that? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. The first cause, by the breath of his mouth, caused all of these things to exist. That's a bold claim. That's a really bold claim, Pastor. You really believe that? Yeah, I believe that. How do I know that's true? I know that's true by faith. Friend, go with me over to Hebrews. Look at the last, go almost to Revelation. Go over to the book of Hebrews. Flip to chapter, chapter number 11. what he says here chapter number 11 verse number 3 Hebrews 11 verse number 3 he says by faith we understand that means we believe we know that it's a fact we understand it to be true if you don't believe that by in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth by his word then I'll tell you right now you don't have faith because the faith that God gives you by faith we understand you don't understand salvation if you don't understand that God's the creator. 
You don't understand anything about the Bible if you don't understand that God's the creator. And all of these people that are ripping up the book of Genesis are ripping up the rest of the Bible with it. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We believe that. So that the things which are seen were not, were not made of the things which are visible. In other words, there's a first cause of matter. And that first cause is God. By his word, he created the heavens and the earth. He made them out of nothing. And we believe that by faith. And where do we get that faith? That faith is a gift of God. When I, would, I didn't believe that before I got saved. I mean, I was kind of duped into believing a lot of the evolutionary theories. I kind of sort of believed in Big Bang. I, I knew it seemed kind of stupid, but I sort of believed in that. But faith is a gift of God. When you receive Jesus Christ in your heart, I'll guarantee you, if you're truly born again, you're going to believe that Jesus Christ is the creator. You're going to know that. Nobody can take that truth away from you. Your faith is as real as matter. It's a gift of God. Just like this creation is a gift of God, faith is a gift of God. And it's every bit as real as anything else. But listen to me. If you're here today and you don't have faith, you're not... You, you, you're, you don't excuse yourself. I mean, the, the, the evidence that there's a designer of this universe is everywhere. That's why Paul warns in Romans 1, he says, men who don't recognize a creator are without excuse because his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. And then Paul goes on to say, hey, they don't want to hear that. Because we will not have this man rule over us, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And let me tell you what, you believe the stories of evolution, it is foolish. I'll stand here today against any, I'm not a scientist, but I know that those stories are nothing more than fool's games. And they're meant to dupe people, to send people straight to hell. Because if you can't believe in the Creator, you can't believe in the power of Jesus Christ to save your soul. It's as simple as that. In other words, let me put it lightly here, only a fool can look at this creation and not, I'm not, the Bible's saying this, and not know that there's a creator. It screams out design. If you'll just use your common sense, it screams out design. You remember last August, we had a solar eclipse? You know what? had to all be orchestrated for that solar eclipse to take place. You realize that the moon travels around the earth at 2,300 miles per hour? That the sun, the earth travels around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour? And the sun's diameter is exactly 400 times the diameter of the moon and the distance from the earth to the sun is exactly 400 times the distance of the earth to the moon. Now, all of that has to be in play so that, you, so that this moon fits exactly on time over the sun's disk. And you look out at that solar eclipse and you tell me, wow, evolution is so cool. You are an idiot is all I can say. You are nuts. If you can look at a lunar eclipse 
If you can look at any of those things and not see God, you got a serious problem. Now, here's where a lot of Christians go wrong. Because they're afraid of being persecuted by evolutionists. But let's just go there. If God created the heavens and the earth, when did he do it? When did he do it? Go back to Genesis 1. He tells us. He tells us when he did it. When did he do it? Read those first three words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When time began and when the material world began, that's when the first cause caused the material world and time to exist. In the beginning. Now, when was the beginning? And here's where it gets dicey. In the beginning... Was that millions or billions of years ago, like we're told by most secular scientists? Well, you might want to believe that and call yourself a Christian, but let me tell you what, when you do that, you're calling Jesus Christ a liar. That's what you're doing. You're calling him a liar. Because let me tell you what Jesus Christ said. Jesus Christ said in Mark chapter 10, verse 5, he says that from the beginning of creation, God made male and female. He says over in Matthew 10, 5, he says the same thing in just a little bit different way. He says in the beginning, there was male and female. When was the beginning? When time began, when the material world began. So Adam and Eve have been around since the beginning. That's why in the Palaxia River over in Texas, they found human uh, footprints in the footprints of dinosaurs. They don't, want to, they don't want you to know that. Who was the first man? Who was the first man? We'll, we'll see later on in Genesis. Who was the first man? He was Adam. He was Adam. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. He says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. When did he become a living being? In the beginning. He didn't evolve over millions of years. In the beginning, he became a living being. On the sixth day after time began, after the material world was caused by the first cause, Adam came into this world. And all you have to do is go to the genealogies of Jesus in Matthew and in Luke, Matthew 1 and in Luke 3, and you'll see that Adam hadn't been around here for millions of years. Adam had a son named Seth. And, and so on down the line. And Adam was there in the beginning. Adam was there in the beginning of creation. When was the beginning of creation? At the most, six or 7,000 years ago. People laugh at me when I say that. I don't care if they laugh at me. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. Look, who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe Darwin? Or am I going to believe Jesus Christ? You take your pick. I'll take Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why I'll take Jesus Christ. First of all, he's a lot smarter than Darwin. But secondly, he was there. Darwin wasn't there. He did it all. It was his voice that created matter, that created time. 
So in the beginning, when he says in the beginning Adam and Eve were there, I'm going to believe that in the beginning Adam and Eve were there. I don't have any doubt about that. No doubt about that. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I take that as fact. And I'll, tell, I'll tell you right now, if you don't take that as fact, go chunk this in the, or give it to me, don't chunk it. But you, you just might as well chunk this somewhere. Because it's, if Jesus lied about that, then when he spoke John 3.16, he must have lied about that too. And that's really where it all hits. If you don't believe that basic truth. You know, it's hard to believe this, but, but uh, several years ago, many of the school districts in California uh, voted to teach creationism right alongside evolution. Well, you know what the evolutionists did. They, 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 don't want to, they, they didn't argue it, argue with their facts against the creationist facts. They just wanted it stopped. Uh, Dr. Ralph Gerard, who's biology professor at Cal Davis, he commented when, this, when these school districts were voting this way, he says, he says, teaching the theory of creation makes about as much sense as teaching the stork theory in classes. He, he, he raises the question, he says, so is a scientific course on reproduction uh, a course where we tell our students about the stork? You understand his strategy there? And that's the strategy of the evolutionists. His strategy to counter creationism is to make it seem like a fairy tale, to make it seem like a joke. That's, that's the way the evolutionists, that's the way they attack it. They don't attack it with facts. They attack it by attacking it, making it seem to be a real joke. Look around. Look around. Go back there when, when this sermon's over, those three babies back there in that cry room. Hold one of those babies. And you look at that baby and tell me that baby evolved from an ape. Tell you what, them is fighting words because one of those is my grandson. <laughs> you look at your human body. Look at your body. Use your common sense that God gave you. I love what Vance Hefner says. Your ears don't hear. You hear with your ears. Cut your ear off and see how much it hears. Don't cut your ear off. You don't smell with your... Your nose doesn't smell. You smell with your nose. Your eyes don't see. You see with your eyes. Your body is a machine that God has given for your soul and spirit to live in. There's got to be a creator. I mean, just look around. I mean, everywhere you look, you see evidence for a, a creator. I mean, I'll tell you what you do. Go on the line and look at a picture of a snowflake. They're able to actually take pictures of snowflakes. Now. Look at a picture of a snowflake under a, a microscope. Look at a picture of the planet Saturn and look at those rings around Saturn and you tell me that's an accident. You, 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 look at, you look at that solar eclipse last year. You look at a lunar eclipse. Let me tell you what you do. Just go outside one night away from this city. I mean, go try Mount Zion in Utah. 
and go out there and camp and just lay out there and look up at those stars and tell me you don't believe in a creator. And I'll tell you, you're nuts. The evidence for creation is everywhere. It's not a fairy tale. Let me tell you what the fairy tale is. The fairy tale is evolution. That's the fairy tale. You know what God would say to a man like Dr. Gerard and those like him? It, and maybe he will say it when he sees them face to face. He would say the same thing he said to Job in that whirlwind when Job saw him that day. He would say to him, where were you when I laid the foundations of this earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Well, that idiot would probably try to argue with him. You don't have understanding is what he's saying. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To, to what were the foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sun's of God shouted for joy when the creation was created, when matter was created. Where were you? Where were you? Let me tell you where you were. You were nothing more than a thought in God's mind. But I'll tell you what, God was there. And when God says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth, I believe him. And on that verse, I Stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for this great foundational truth that you've given us, that, that the whole world is attacking right now. Lord, and if we stand on it, we're going to be laughed at, we're going to be scoffed, but Lord, we know you were there. We know you were there when you created the heavens and the earth. Lord, we know you were there at Calgary. Calvary. We know you were there hanging on that cross for our sins. We know you were there when, when that day came that you called us to be your child and we were born again. We know you were there. We know by your word and by your spirit you have the power to do all the things that you say you do in your word and we believe that Lord and we won't back off of that because we love you because you love us and because you've given us faith. Lord, and you've given us your Holy Spirit so that we truly can believe that you are the God that you say you are. We pray all of these things as we praise Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.